Hello, heroes. Welcome to Modifier. I'm your host, Megan Dornbrock. Hey there, heroes. First, a quick apology. My audio this week is not up to the usual standards due to a rookie mistake with the program I use. Just imagine me recording from inside a dumpster, where I belong, and it'll be fine. This week, I talked to Aaron J. Amendola about his party game, Earworm. We haven't really talked about games that fall into the party game category before, and I was excited to talk to Aaron about Earworm for a few reasons. First of all, party games are a unique kind of gaming experience, especially when compared to tabletop RPGs, which is what we usually talk about. They tend to support the biggest player groups and operate in a way that keeps everyone consistently engaged. Earworm does these things, and with a very specific experience in mind that might not be far off from a LARP. Additionally, Earworm was built with different play modes, which is something I don't always find in a party game. These built-in modes not only fit the game thematically, but they increase the accessibility of the game itself. And I think you know how I feel about games built for accessibility. Aaron shares the development process for the game, some thoughts about cooperative and supportive play, and hums a bunch of songs that you'll now have in your head for the rest of the day. Let's get to the show. So I am joined this week by Aaron Amendola. Hey, Aaron. Hi, how are you? Good. How are you? I'm doing really well. Thank you. Cool. Uh, we're going to talk about your game, Earworm. But first, Aaron, do you want to introduce yourself a little bit? Where uh, projects you've worked on, where people might know you from? Uh, I know there's other podcasts you're on, things like that. Yeah, thank you. Uh, I, I do kind of a, a lot of different things. Uh, I'm a performer in Chicago, Illinois. Uh, I'm a musical theater person by trade and I write short films, musicals that, that all have to do with things that I love, like comic books, superheroes, uh, video games, things like that. And, uh, I also run a podcast with my fiance called the Cooperatives Pod where we mm -hmm. discuss relationships, gaming, and how the two can be intertwined. Uh, but mm -hmm. lately, I design games, because that is like my big passion right now. Big fan of that. <laughs> awesome. Is, is Earworm uh, your first game? or Earworm is actually my third game, but it's the first game that I'm uh, trying to bring to market, so to say. I okay. developed a head-to-head -head card battle game called the Sean Bean Dream Team, because Sean Bean is one of my favorite actors, and he always <laughs> dies. So yes. I made a card game where it's set in the year 20XX, where you select a team of three different Sean Beans, and you pit them head-to-head, -head, and they have different abilities and, and special attacks. So it's Sean Bean versus Sean Bean in the fight for Sean Bean's life. Oh, I love it. Okay. <laughs> I'm also working on a game called Reckoneers, but that's, it's like, uh, what if Pacific Rim happened during, uh, when new cities were being founded in mm -hmm. America? Uh, but that's, that's like very, very playtest conceptual heavy right now. Mm, okay. Is that also cards? Uh, it's going to be like, it's going to be tiles, but there's going to be cards that work with it. Um, okay. I recently replayed Shadow of the Colossus and I was like, oh, well, I need to make the game like this now. So that's, that's where my head's at. <laughs> mm, okay. Oh, that's cool. And then, yeah. And so Earworm is a, it's, it's cards. It's a party game, which, uh, we haven't actually talked about party games, I think ever on Modifier before. So this is a cool, exciting first. What would you, what would you classify or how, how would you explain party games? Like what makes a game a party game? So I think for me, what makes a game a party game is, uh, is three distinct rules. One, it has to be set up quickly. Two, 
you need to be able to facilitate a lot of people playing it. And three, uh, it can't really have any more than three simple rules. I think the key to a to a good successful party game is making it accessible and and making it something that uh, a lot of people can agree upon. Like the thing with Earworm is the the main mechanic uh, revolves around music, and I'd be hard pressed to find anyone that says like I'm a real hater on music. All music is bad. <laughs> like yeah. people have to at least like a song uh Mm -hmm. so everyone can kind of rally around the idea that music music is good music is fun and uh that seems pretty accessible to me i think so too i've met very few people who would disagree god can you imagine like they must have like a lump of coal for a heart i can't even imagine (laughs) that being real Uh, (laughs) oh man i i had a high school teacher who would uh, fall into that category so um i think that's where they all go (laughs) i'm so sorry (laughs) That's okay. No, she was actually very delightful. So it was a very uh, interesting juxtaposition of, of otherwise a very wonderful person, and then just like no, no music, <laughs> just not. I'm like oh, okay, that's like that's your choice. Um, <laughs> one of my really good friends, uh, one of my really good friends has the best sense of humor, but they never laugh. They'll always say, "Oh, that's funny," but they never laugh. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, "How do you do that?" Oh my god. <laughs> oh man. It's going to go off on a weird tangent because this this is an audio podcast. So I find myself uh, narrating those things a lot. Like, oh, that is funny or that's interesting. And I, I, need, to, I need to stop. Oh, good. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, so Earworm. Um, mm-hmm. Music is cool. Music is good. And music is accessible. Uh, where where did Earworm start? So Earworm started in a variety of different places. Uh, it's a it's a game developed by myself and two of my frequent collaborators and very good friends, Sam Begich and Laura Marsh. And I, I, I was working on a project with them last year where we were um, doing a music video for a Muppet project that we were working on. And mm-hmm. at the end of recording, uh, Laura came over to, to talk to us and and Sam said, have we ever told you about this game that we used to play when we were warming up for for film shoots and, and musical rehearsals? And mm-hmm. they said that they would they would take the bridge to a song and they would hum out the bridge or like like do 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 the bridge of a song and somebody else would have to guess it. And for the three of us that have been working in theater and, and working on musicals our entire lives, we're like, oh, there's there's a great bridge in this song. And and if you discount the chorus in, in this musical, it has a lot of great bridges. And we said, oh, well, this is totally a game. Like if you just put these songs on cards and labeled it chorus, bridge, verse, uh, instrumental, things like that, it'd be really fun to play. And that night I went home and I basically wrote up uh, 120 of my favorite songs a lot of them were pop songs. A lot of them were musical songs. And uh, the next morning, I sent them over to Sam and I said, here's what I want to do. Is this dumb? Like, should we do this? And he immediately latched on the idea. And we kind of began figuring out what the game was from there. We got Laura to come in uh, immediately after and kind of pitched her the idea. And the the initial conception of the game really, really started from vocalizing songs as the main mm-hmm. mechanic. So the main mechanic in, in Earworm is uh, is vocalizing songs without using any lyrics. So, for Ooh, instance, okay. what, what's like one of your favorite pop songs? Oh gosh, um, it can be it can be any any era. I, I have to think about it. I've been listening to too much J-pop lately, so all the English songs have just vanished. Oh from no, my no, head. if you want to do J-pop, you, you can do Yukata <laughs> Hikaru. So, like instead of. Okay. Instead of like her singing, simple and clean is the way that you're making me feel tonight. And like, instead of that, mm-hmm. you would go, 
do, 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 do. So you just don't use lyrics, but you want to try to get somebody on uh, your team to guess the song without using any of the lyrics. And we would just sit around and toss out our favorite karaoke tracks, our favorite top 40 songs, and just see if it had a recognizable beat, if it had something that we could cling on to. And uh, that's pretty much how we ended up making the first song list. The first song mm-hmm. list was only about 120 cards, and it was stacked very heavily in uh, in our favor. So there was a lot of like 90s hip-hop, 90s alt-rock, mm-hmm. uh, mid-2000s trash pop, things like that. Um, good, there good. was no Yutada Hikaru, and there was no uh, Gokt in there, although if we had more J-pop, <sighs> it'd be awesome. Um, yeah. And, and the first hurdle that I think we encountered was figuring out what's accessible for us is absolutely not the same level of accessibility for other people. Yeah. Okay, cool. That's, that was going to be one of my next questions was when, when you break things down like that into bridge and chorus and, and parts of the songs, how difficult was that to convey to people outside of your circle? Well, well so, you know, earworms a party game and party games have to be fun. And mm-hmm. last summer, uh, it just so happened my fiance and I were having a party and I asked everybody, Hey, I'm kind of working on this game. Do you mind if we play it? And the first time mm-hmm. we played it, it was such a complete crash and burn because we ended up having to, we ended up having so many different skill levels of people from experienced musicians to people that are, are so shy that they, they don't even sing in the shower. And so mm-hmm. trying to explain to them the difference between a bridge part, a chorus part, a, a verse, it immediately bogged the game down into all of these clarifications and all these questions that really didn't work. Yeah. And for something that that seems so second nature to to me, Sam and Laura, um, we immediately were like, oh no, this this does not work. We need to go back to the drawing board and we need to figure out how we can open this up, how we can think of people of all skill levels. And we also were trying to think of people of all ages. Yeah. We really wanted Earworm to be something that you could sit around, you know, like a Thanksgiving dinner when you're done with it and play with your grandpa and play with your nephew and and have all sorts of people uh, join in one experience. So that was the first big hurdle. I, I specifically remember we were, we were out on uh, the deck playing the game. We discovered it didn't work. And then we came into my back room and we said, all right, these rules don't work. This doesn't work. These songs don't work. What do we do? And we basically took every song in the deck that we loved, but wasn't like a top 40 or karaoke song and threw them out. And mm. we took all of the mechanics with the verse, with the chorus part, with the bridge, and we threw those out. We just said, you can pick any part of the song that you want, any part of the song that resonates with you, and you can vocalize that. And as soon as we brought those changes back out, it was all we did for the next four hours. We discovered that the thing about the songs that were in the deck is that like Semi-Charmed Life, it's one of my favorite songs. It's my go-to karaoke song. Um, mm-hmm. There are parts of that song that different people gravitate to. So some people go to the chorus where it's Semi-Charmed Kind of Life, baby, baby. Uh, but other people will go to the lead-in. So other people just go to do, 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 mm-hmm. and, um, and it was just so much fun seeing what, parts of the songs people really, really gravitated to. And, and it made it feel like more of a communal experience than we were going for. Mm-hmm. 
and when you when you see people really pick a song that they love other people get excited too and it just feeds off that enthusiasm and at that moment after that play test we knew all right we have a viable idea here but we really need to hone in on the song selection and we need to hone in on just a little bit crunchier mechanics because we went from being very very kind of convoluted and in the know to just being like something you could do just by picking songs out of a hat. So we knew that we needed to find a middle ground mm-hmm. from that point forward. Yeah. So it's, it sounds like right now it, in this stage of the game, it is, it's very light. So how do you, how do you get crunchier than that without scaring people off again? Well, well so there's, there's a few simple things that I think we did to the game that had ripple effects for, for the rest of the game. So when the game was uh, first being conceived, there was no time limit. It was, you could take, you know, a minute to, to vocalize your song. And, you know, for some people, we discovered that that was too much time for other people that that wasn't enough, but just figuring out a time limit, put a little bit of tension into the game that didn't exist there before. And just adding a little dab of tension really goes a long way. And it's one of those things in party games that uh, you don't realize, but so many party games have timers of like 10 seconds, 15 seconds, 30 seconds. And it's that sort of snappy pace that really keeps them going. If you tell somebody, take as long as you want, just vocalize for a minute. And if we guess it, we guess it. If not, who cares? It just really slows the pace down to a crawl. So we we knew that we had to remedy that. So very quickly we said, all right, we're going to set it at a minute. And then a minute ended up being a little bit too long. Then we said 45 seconds and that ended up being a little too long. Then we did 15 seconds and pretty much what we saw with a 15 second time limit was that um, people that were a little bit more shy, people that that weren't of the performer persuasion <laughs> would get very choked up and that 15 seconds turns into five seconds of trying to overcome your fear of, of singing out loud. And the next five seconds is trying to figure out what part of the song you want to do. And then they're really only left with five seconds to actually vocalize. The sweet spot ended up being 30 seconds. And I think I have a theory for why that is. A lot of, oh, a yeah. lot of music, like the chorus is typically uh, 30 to 40 seconds. A lot of great rock songs, their intro will be 30 to 45 seconds. So that's usually enough time to get out a complete musical thought. You know, I'll, I'll go back to, to Semi-Charmed Life by Third Eye Blind, but that whole intro is, you know, do, 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 So that's like maybe 12 to 15 seconds. And if somebody doesn't grab onto that, they can go, oh, I'll go to the chorus or, oh, I'll I'll go to to this verse that I know. It gives them enough time to kind of pivot and and go to something else uh, in the song's identity entirely. Mm, okay, that's very cool. So it, it, it sounds like it's, um, the time limit it, it, with cards is reminding me of like monikers where you're trying to get oh, that yeah. something out. Yeah, whether it's whether it's just one word or, or like a, an action that you're trying to do. There is that, yeah, I, I have noticed that, that getting over the performance anxiety is definitely always part of the round. It's It's one of those things where like, you know, monikers is a is a really is a really good example. I I feel like part of the appeal to to having thirty seconds is it's just long enough for somebody to kind of grab onto a thought, but it's not long enough for for somebody to dwell on something. So you know, we yeah. we, we talked about 
what I consider to be like the rules of a good party game at the top. And I think, I think pacing and I think the ease of setup is, is really, really clutch. And when you only have 30 seconds to do something, I feel like there's not a lot of weight to it. So if you succeed, great. If you fail, cool. You're going to, you're going to have another chance to go around in as little as two or three minutes later. So 30 seconds, I think was a really good speed spot for it. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. So we, we've, figured out how long everybody needs the song list you mentioned wanting to play it with people of all ages Mm -hmm. you know everyone in the family so how i I guess how do you accommodate that because you you could do all top 40 i guess but does that did you find that that necessarily reaches everybody or is there still people that are still left out of that i think no matter what the song list is going to have a good mix of songs that you know, and we hope that the songs that you don't know, you would like to research or or hear after you play the game. But mm-hmm. the the short answer is that there's never going to be a song list that completely fits somebody's profile. And playing playing with the other developers, we all pretty much love the same music. We love 80s power ballads, we love 90s alt rock, <laughs> and we love trash pop. Like for for whatever reason, we're, we're all about like. Meatloaf, Blondie, Genesis, Invisible Touch, like stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And, and that's not going to be everyone's music profile. I bet if we compared your Spotify versus my Spotify, they'd be wildly, wildly different, but there'd probably be like some <laughs> J-pop that lines up really well. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the things that we discovered was we immediately had to play test the game with people that were outside of our circles, outside of our age ranges, people that weren't white. Like, I, I don't want the game to be entirely white. I want it to have all, all sorts of backgrounds. And we were lucky enough to, uh, to be in a position where all of us were traveling in the next few months. So I was mm-hmm. able to play it with my, with, uh, my family, who is much, much older than me. My parents are in their 70s. My sister is in her late 40s. My brother is is in his early 50s now. We would take it around to hobby shops and theaters and uh, in cafes and restaurants that weren't in our neighborhood, that weren't in Chicago, that that had a totally different profile and asked them what music that they liked. Yeah, we pretty much went all over the U.S. as much as we could. Uh, we were very, very fortunate to, to be uh, traveling at the time. There is one specific game that really made me chuckle. My fiance's aunt is a, a caretaker for AARP. And we ended up playing the game mm. with her. And she said, you know, the thing that I noticed is that there's not a lot of songs from the 30s and 40s in here. And and it's <laughs> yeah. like, well, yeah, you know, there's not a lot of pop songs from the 30s and 40s. I, th- I think we go as far back as 1953 or 58. I can't remember. Um, okay. But it's it's kind of it's kind of a difficult choice to figure out where the cutoff should be, and um, mm-hmm. and what genres and what uh, decades you pull from. We ended up making a pretty gargantuan song list that aggregated what years we were favoring, what genres, what artists, and uh, we we discovered pretty quickly that like there was a lot of Michael Jackson, there was a lot of Destiny's Child, there's a lot of uh, Aerosmith. Weirdly enough, because they just have so many hummable songs, and uh, mm-hmm. we we would play certain decks with certain groups of people and figure out what they responded to, and if they didn't respond to that, we go to the spreadsheet and we give it a check mark. And if you got you know three to five check marks, then you're probably out of the game. Mm-hmm. One thing that was very valuable to us is if we if we found a group that was very responsive to it, we would give them a bunch of blank cards and just tell them to write whatever they wanted on it, and 
It was, it was like so illuminating to figure out, oh, of course you'd want this specific song. Like, why did we not think of that in the first place? Like Bad Romance by Lady Gaga kept coming up because it's got that, uh, rah, 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 like that, that amazing part of the song. We never thought about it. And like Mambo number five came up a lot, I think, because people hated us. (laughs) Um, Rona, Never Gonna Give You Up was, was really great. No diggity. And and so we would take all of that data and just compile it into this massive spreadsheet and uh, really try to do our research as much as possible to figure out a deck that was that was fully balanced. I think the the difficult part of that was when we were thinking about bringing the game to Kickstarter, we know what kind of demographics Kickstarter is most appealing to. We know the specifically the age bracket that Kickstarter users are are most pulled into. So that made it a little bit easier for us to trim some songs that were a little bit newer and a little bit older. But we we have so many lists of songs that we would love to include in future expansions and kind of hit the spots that are a little bit more blind at this point. Yeah. As the game is right now. So it, it, it sounds like like lots and lots of thought and care has gone into curating this song list. When When you're playing the game, do you curate the pool that you're playing from as a group together, or is it just whatever comes out of the box? So, so right now, the the decks that we've been using to play the game, they're 200 cards, and it's all of the songs that we decided should be in the first initial run of the game, the the like formal mm-hmm. version 1.0. And um, early on in the game, the the first rule was you would pick three cards, and then you would select one of those cards to vocalize. And what we discovered is that with a deck of 120 cards, three cards was perfect because you would, you could play for two hours, you'd go through the deck once or twice, and you'd have a pretty good feel for what's in there. But when we increased the deck to 200, three cards felt like you weren't grabbing nearly enough cards. So adjusting the five not only opened up the selections for the vocalizer, but it also, I think it also showcased what the array of songs was. Yeah. One one of my big concerns is that if you have a team of three or four people each and you're picking up three cards, you might inevitably get like three rock songs. And what if you're not a rock mm-hmm. fan? Likewise, you could pick up three songs and you might only get folk or punk or R&B or country. Mm-hmm. And w- one of my big worries was making sure that you could pick up any five cards and you would most likely have different genres and different years represented. So balancing that within the deck was a concern, but one that was really fun to figure out, I think. Yeah, lots of spreadsheets. Yeah, and like, man, I love spreadsheets. I really do. I love math. (laughs) But at a certain Mm -hmm. point, you're looking at a spreadsheet of like, Enter Sandman by Metallica and like Crazy on You by Heart. And you're like, what? what, How is this even a thing? Like, (laughs) why don't people know these songs? I'm so upset. Oh, (laughs) But yeah, pulling five cards, though, I feel like there's there's no way you don't know at least one of those songs in your hand, which that's pretty cool. The last time we played, we played about a month ago, and we had we, we had an African-American woman who was playing, and one of the first things she asked after pulling her five cards was, how white is the deck? And, <laughs> and you know, that's a question yeah. that I, I think is... Uh, is super valid. And I got a little scared now. And I just calmly said, we have these artists, we have roughly this many cards, the ratio is about this, you know, as we play with more people, it could change for the final release. And I, I would love to get more of those types of questions going forward. Cause, uh, 
a lot of yeah. a lot of the music in the game is exclusively based off U.S. pop music, mm. and yeah. and U.S. pop music innately has a lot of issues with it in terms of representation. So there's there's a fine balance of highlighting certain artists, but also you want to make sure it's a song that has at least been on the charts. Mm-hmm. So during during the song curation, I would be very careful to to not include everything that's a number one. I I want to have some stuff that obviously didn't chart incredibly high, but still was meaningful. Right. So finding those songs and specifically inserting them into the deck was uh, was something that I wanted to be mindful of. And I think the whole team had had in consideration as well. Yeah, it's, it sounds extremely difficult, but it's really good to hear. Well, and, and who knows if we did it right? You know, it's it's a yeah. it's a version one, and and every time mm-hmm. we play, we learn something new. <laughs> I I really want to make sure that there's at least something in there for everybody. And it seems like this is you know since it's it's just these cards, this is it's perfect for either new versions or for expansions or you know hitting those like if if you find later that there people really want a lot of this type of song, you know? Yeah. And, and Gear towards it. it's, it's so, it's such like a chicken and egg thing because we think that 200 songs is a, is a pretty good size of the deck. And mm-hmm. literally every single person we, we talk to says, are you going to do a musical deck? Are you going to do Disney? Are you going to do emo? Are you going to do disco? Uh-huh. And like, yes, we want to do all of these things. Yeah. And I believe, I believe the route that we're going to take is knock on wood. If the campaign's successful, mm-hmm. we'll let people vote on what genres or what what like decades they'd like to see more songs from and then pull from that. Oh, yeah. um, but at this point, if the game gets made, it's pretty much up to the audience where we go from there. Cool. Uh, so one of the other things about the game that I definitely want to talk about is there are different ways to play or different modes. Yeah. Right? That's cool. That's I don't think I don't think that's any something I've seen in any other party game, but I could totally be wrong. <laughs> I, I, I think it's like doing multiple rule sets kind of dilutes your product a little bit. But mm-hmm. um, one of the things that we discovered with Earworm early on is that the party mode, which is basically draw five cards, pick one card to vocalize, you have 30 seconds to vocalize, mm-hmm. and the first team to 10 songs wins. Like I could explain it in 10 seconds. It's it's not a hard concept. And I think after a turn, you pretty much see what the party mode of the game is. Yeah. What we discovered is that if we play tested with groups of people that had already played before, or if we were play testing just by ourselves, we weren't necessarily accommodating the the gamer that is more musically inclined or the gamer that really wants a more hardcore rule set. And mm-hmm. man, it's like pulling teeth trying to figure out exactly what works for more of an <laughs> aggressive type of rule set. And, you know, three months ago, we had, we have, we had five sets of rules. We always had party mode, but we would have mm-hmm. like a battle of the bands one where two people would vocalize the same song at the same time. We would have uh, a tour mode where you would have to like do charades with it. And that, that just kind of diluted what the actual game was about. And what we actually mm-hmm. settled on was this thing called on tour that, that I am like weirdly proud of because it escalates the difficulty as you play the game. Yeah. And one of the things that, that I think is really interesting about on tour is I've seen people that would only play the party mode, but as they play the tour mode, they get more comfortable. They, they get a little bit more fanciful with what they're doing and <laughs> they, they will only play tour mode now because it's more fun. But for, uh, for on tour, the, the game consists of three rounds 
And the first round is the same as party mode. You play until everyone on your team has a turn, and that's the end of round one. Round two, it gets a little bit more difficult where it's the same core game. You're going to select five cards, but now instead of vocalizing one song in 30 seconds, you have to see how many songs you can do in 30 seconds. So it, it ratchets up that tension just a little bit. If you can only get one or two songs, that's still great. You're still earning points for your team, but it just puts the pressure on a little bit more. And then the third round, it's basically what, what we like to call the blind draw, where you have 30 seconds, but you just draw one card at a time from the top of the deck. Oof. And okay. yep. that that is like, <laughs> it is one of those things where suddenly the tension is no longer just on the vocalizer, but it's on the rest of the team as well. That That time mechanic really, really does go a long way to just creating a sense of uh the positive kind of stress you stress and uh yeah and you know still still creating a fun musical environment but those modes all used to be uh split up they all used to be different modes that we said you can play it a variety of different ways you can try this way or this way mm -hmm. but we found that in trying to explain more than two modes of play people would get bogged down and people wouldn't really respond to one and they would just want to play party but if you yeah. made it like a round based play and uh, and just told people that the rules would get increasingly more difficult as time went on. Um, it's almost like a challenge when people hear that. They're like, "Oh, yeah. well, you know, if this is something that I can learn as time goes on, you know, why not? Let's let's do it." But that was something that that really evolved out of constant play testing and really listening to what people were responding to. And what people were responding to wasn't, oh, there's a variety of different modes. There's all these different ways to play. <laughs> what they were responding to was, all right, there's there's a casual mode and there's something more competitive. And putting it into simple terms like that uh, really went a long way to help sell the game to people that were maybe on the fence before. Yeah. Oh, it's it's stressful to think about. Very <laughs> stressful, but it's it's super fun. <laughs> In a good way. Oh my God. It's, it's still 30 seconds for all of the on-tour yeah, yeah. And and so th oh. the idea is like party mode, 30 seconds, you can select a card and you, you are kind of in like the most comfortable space possible. You have a lot of choice. Mm -hmm. You you have a lot of, of freedom to pick how you want that round to go. In the second round, we take a little bit of that freedom away and we say, mm -hmm. we, we trust you. You played the first round. You probably did good. And even if you don't think you did well, your whole team loves you and supports you. And why would you be playing with assholes anyway? You want to play with people who like you. And then the yeah. third round, we take away pretty much all of the freedom and say, this is what you're doing. Let's see if you can do it. <laughs> That's good game advice, though. Don't play with assholes. <laughs> yeah, right? That's like the number one thing. Like, play with people that want to play with you, that are supportive, that love you. And if you mess up, they'll give you a hug. Mm -hmm. Oh. <laughs> so, Earworm is, it, since it's a party game, it is by design a little fluffier than some of the games that we talk about. But uh, I feel like this is still a valid question. What what kind of experience are you hoping people have playing this game? Well, so man, you know, I I know that you know Modifier does a lot of RPGs and LARPs, and it just makes me think like, could we just do this as a LARP? Like, just put yeah. people on a concert stage and go for it. Yeah. That like recreating a concert venue or like a karaoke night out is really what I would like to see people get out of the game. In my oh gosh, I'm 32 years old, and I was about to say in my youth. But in my youth, I would you uh -huh. know, get off rehearsal and I would go to a karaoke bar till one, two, three in the morning. And like, I remember closing down several karaoke bars singing Rainbow Connection from the Muppets because it's awesome. Um, yeah. 
but I, I want to be able to give that experience to other people in an environment that they feel more supported and safer in. I, I love it when we send a deck off to people and just tell them to play and their reaction is that they just had drinks, stayed in and played for two or three hours and just had fun. And I think music is one of those things that brings a lot of people together. There's always inevitably one song that somebody will select where everyone starts singing and joining in. Like it's usually piano, man. Everyone always picks piano, man. And (laughs) it's like, all right, for the next six minutes, we're going to, you know, have a glass of whiskey and we're going to act out piano, man. But the experience that I would love people to have is to, uh, to mimic a night out at a karaoke bar without like stumbling home with a awful, awful hangover. If we can give them a safe space to do that in, I think we've done a good job. Yay. It's very considerate of you. (laughs) Are there any Muppet songs in the deck? So here's the thing. Okay. Um, So rainbow connection was in the initial uh, song list of the game because it's just, it's one of my favorite songs. It's just amazing. And, um, one of the things that we're doing with the Kickstarter is if you pledge to the game, even if you give us a dollar, um, you have the ability to submit three songs that you want to see in the game. So mm. we give the full song list on the Kickstarter. And if you're looking at that list and you're thinking, where the hell are the Muppets? Like, where's moving right along? Where's, where's, mm-hmm. where's uh, Man or Muppet? Like, what's going on? You can put those songs into the comments section, and then at the end of the week, we compile it into a uh, a voting bracket, and then everyone who backs gets to pick five songs, and we'll take the top three songs from that vote, and we'll put them into the game. And I'm super, super happy because somebody submitted Rainbow Connection, yes. and... I don't want to give away the results of the vote, but I will say it has a good fighting chance. <laughs> oh, thank you, person. You I, are my hero. Yeah, I need to like go find them in the comments and just like give them a hug. It just makes yeah. me so happy that you could go between like ACDC, Metallica, like Whitney Houston, and then the Muppets. Like, why not? It'd be super Perfect. fun. Yeah, that's good. I don't know if this is something we want to talk about, but I was talking to someone last week in Chicago about Earworm, uh, and I hear that it's gone through some names as well as... Oh my god. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Are, are any of them repeatable? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, I think I know who you talk to. Um, <laughs> uh, so... When the game was was first being conceived, mm-hmm. you know, we in in college, I had this gigantic guitar hero and rock band set, and Sam and Laura would pretty much routinely come over and play rock band with me, and uh, we still all play guitar hero together every now and then. And as we were conceiving of the game, we're like, well, it's like it's like guitar hero, except you're using your mouth to vocalize everything, and then. At the end of the night, it was like, all right, cool. So we'll call it Mouth Hero. And we were all like, oh, that's really good, but it sounds really bad. Oh, no. Yeah. And I love I love telling people that the game used to be called Mouth Hero because the mm-hmm. grimace on their face is so, <laughs> so strong. It is, yeah. It's a very visceral reaction. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, specifically at the first play test we did at, at, a, at this party that we had in 2017, we told people that we wanted to call it Mouth Hero and like half of the people were like, that's amazing. And the other half were like, you can't do that. You can't put that on a game box. It'll be terrible. Um, <laughs> and out of, out of like the crowd of people that we were playing with, somebody said, why don't you call it Earworm? 
And I remember thinking like, oh, it's a good name. We'll come back to it later. And mm-hmm. um, later that night, we were just like, oh, that's what we're calling it now. We obviously have to. And we can't figure out who said it. So oh, no. I know. And like, I want to, <laughs> I want to like give them credit and like, I don't know, buy them a beer or something, but I can't track down who said it. And I've asked everybody in this group multiple times. And the only thing I can think of is like, like it's either a specter or some sort of yeah. spirit or uh, we were getting too rowdy and uh, tipsy and they totally just like forget saying it. But either way is a good reason, I think. Oh yeah. No, I, my money's on specter or spirit. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the more fun one. That's how, yeah. And, that, and that's how games get made. Mm-hmm. Definitely haunts. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, and, and there's so much to be said about how like, music has like haunting melodies too. So yeah, that, that's yeah. going to be, that's going to be my, my uh, answer. I'm just going to say it was ghosts. I like it. Yes. Good. Perfect. Everything's ghosts. <laughs> Let's see. So uh, should we uh, address anything about this Kickstarter, which when this episode goes up, will still be happening? Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, so number one, Kickstarters are, are awesome and terrifying and, uh-huh. and I wish everyone to do one at least once in their life so they know how <laughs> stressful it is. But yeah, the Kickstarter is going on right now. As of this recording, I believe we're 42% to our goals. So I'm very happy we have the answer as our, as our percentage today. Uh, we're 42% to our goal. <laughs> if you go to earwormgame.com, you can pledge. We've had uh, like a resounding amount of enthusiasm about the game uh, since we launched last week. And uh, we've sold out of a few different options. So we, mm-hmm. we opened up more slots in uh, in the campaign today to get more artwork and more of our demo decks. Mm. But 20 bucks gets you a copy of the game. And uh, and it also gets you the chance to uh, submit and vote on songs that are going to be in the final version of the game. One of my, one of my favorite awesome. things about the Kickstarter is basically how everyone is giving their favorite songs obviously to be in the deck and like my favorite bands right now are the decemberists uh jimmy world Mm -hmm. like stuff that won't be in top 40 radio and and i think oh there's there's no way that i should submit this song It, it would be unprofessional it would be bad i'm one of the developers but then somebody commented the other day and said i want the entire cast album of fiddler on the roof and i want this whole <laughs> muse album i want everything off uh, absolution and i'm like all right cool so so if these got in i wouldn't feel bad um yeah seeing everyone's favorite songs would it's just the best <laughs> oh and uh yutada hikaru is in the voting right now i may or may not have voted for that song (laughs) excellent your people are out there (laughs) voting for you oh this is great and you mentioned the artwork like briefly it's amazing by the way like i love i love the way this game looks so so let me tell you how to find an artist because this is this is the luckiest thing in the world here's how you find an artist Mm -hmm. uh you and your two other designers you get together and say we're going to reconvene in a month and we're all going to bring five artists that we like and we're going to talk about them we're going to look at their at, at, at what how much they cost and then we're going to figure out an artist and make them an offer and that's what you do and if you're like me you find like 12 or 15 artists that you love you bring mm-hmm. them to the meeting and you can't decide which one to go over first and uh, one of your co-designers will bring another 10 or 15 that they love. And mm-hmm. then your last designer will say, this is the person we're using. They're perfect. And that'll be the person you go with. It's <laughs> stupid and awesome. But our uh, our artist is just like the most talented person I've ever met. His name's Zachary yeah. Anderson. And 
coincidentally, uh, he's local. He actually lives just outside the city in Evanston. So <laughs> unbeknownst to us, this became like a very Chicago local project. But we we just fell in love with his art as soon as we saw it. I think he has a very strong sense of like uh, G golly and, and oh gosh, like all of his yeah. art is very positive and it feels very like kind of similar to like Fallout, that video game. Like it's it's mm-hmm. it's very reminiscent of like a better time. And one thing that we were looking for with the art is we wanted it to be very positive. We wanted it to to feel happy. We wanted it to feel warm. And yeah. we, we, we talked about like what different genres, uh, of music made us feel. And like, so obviously emo's out. Like you can't, you can't tell an artist to draw you like a bunch of emo stuff because then it's going to be all sad. Um, <laughs> and then it was, well, what about punk? Well, punk is, you know, kind of abrasive. It's, it's, you know, just kind of toxic in a way. It's, it's, you know, damn the man going against, going against everything. It's very empire records. Yep. But then we looked at the eighties and the thing about the eighties was that everybody was looking towards the future and everyone was mm-hmm. trying to adopt new technology and everybody was, you know, genuinely either was like doing cocaine or had like a really good <laughs> idea of what they wanted to be and, and what their identity was. And like people had the most insane style and they just didn't care. So we ended up gravitating towards a lot of eighties type colors, which are just like really fun neons and electrics. And, you know, a little bit of that bleeds into the nineties as well, but just seeing what, what he gave us, even on the first pass, we were like, this is the guy, this is it. And, um, just seeing some of the stuff that he's making for the Kickstarter is fantastic. All of the, all of the cards that people are voting on, all of the, uh, backer chosen songs are going to have a special background. That's, uh, a crowd of people to represent the Kickstarter backers. And we actually Aww. just saw the art today and it looks so good. Oh my God. Oh, that's a really cute idea. I know. I love it. <laughs> All this stuff looks so good. And then, yeah, I think we've, we've kind of gone through, I think the highlights really of, of the Kickstarter back it, uh, vote for songs, volunteer <laughs> songs. Yeah. I'm trying to think of like what, what else with, like the development was in, it was, yeah. it was all like song selection. It's all rule stuff. Is there like anything else about the game that we should know? One of the things that really appeals to me about the game is over, over Christmas, I, I went home with my family and uh, it was myself, my fiance, my nephew, who is 13 years old, my sister, who is in her forties and my folks who are in their seventies. And um, I, I don't always like, I don't always make it a requirement that games with uh, the family need to be like cooperative. I don't think they need to be friendly all the time. But in a game like this, I think the competitive nature of the game is nullified by the enthusiasm that people see for songs and the performative element. And I, I know we spoke about it a little bit earlier in the show, but you should always really be playing with people that you want to play with and people that are supportive. And every time that I've played the game, even in groups of strangers, I've seen people be supportive and um, figuring out why people were being supportive and what they were being supportive of was really informing how we shaped the song list. And there, there's something to be said for like, when somebody hears a certain melody, it might make them nostalgic and might open them up more. And the game has really made a lot of discussions about music. And I think education about music come forward. Mm. You see a lot of people say, oh, I didn't realize that that's what this song was. I've always heard this song, but I didn't know it was by this person. I didn't know it was this year. Oh. It's, it's always fun to see like 
oh, what's the song? What's the song? There's uh, the Doobie Brothers have a song called What a Fool Believes. And I guarantee if somebody looks at that song, they go, I don't know what this is. But then someone vocalizes it. They'll be like, oh, oh, it's that. I, I never knew. And it helps them know that the next time they're up or the next time they hear it, they know what that is. Uh, it's cool to see that that kind of like learning happen in the game and, and seeing people be supportive. Like if if my favorite song of all time, Everlong by the Foo Fighters goes up and somebody doesn't know it, I'm not going to put them down for not knowing it. I'm going to say, oh my God, it's fantastic. I'll send you a link to it after this. Like it just reinforces more of a shared knowledge of music than shutting people down. That's really good. Performative stuff can be so daunting and so stressful that games like this can can seem really scary on the surface. Uh, stuff like this and stuff like like when James and Cat were doing noisy person cards. Mm-hmm. You know, you you're really putting yourself out there. But I don't know. It's it's just really nice to hear that everybody so far, at least it seems, have, has been really cool about it and just is really excited. Well, it's it's funny that you mention like noisy person cards. I, I historically had not played any sort of role playing game before. Oh, about two years ago, and the idea of noisy person cards is such a welcome thing for me. But when I first heard about the concept, I was like, oh, it's terrifying. And like yeah. I've performed on stages like for the majority of my life, but being at a table, being at like this small intimate table with just a few other people going over a line with all these different modifiers, it's, it's daunting to me. But again, I I think if you can, if you can set the bar low for, for stress, if you can give the player a lot of freedom to express themselves the way they want and not put up walls, uh, that's, that's the way to go. And I think those two games have that in common. I think so too. Uh. (laughs) This is really good. I really want to put more J-pop in the game now because, like, I'm the only <laughs> one in the in the dev group that loves J-pop, and like, it broke oh, my no. yeah, it broke my heart to not put like like any any like uh, Robbie Williams or or Britpot in there either. But uh-huh. you know, maybe maybe we'll do an expansion that's exclusively J-pop and uh, it just make my life. I'm there for it, 100. <laughs> percent Absolutely. <laughs> cool. So we're going to have the Kickstarter link in the show notes, definitely, for sure. Yeah. Where can we find you online and all of your stuff? You can find me online. The easiest place to find me online is on Twitter. My Twitter handle is <laughs> at I'm Aaron J. And uh, if you, if you want to hear me talk in the microphones more, there's about 30 to 40 episodes of the Cooperatives Podcast up on nice. cooperativespodcast.com. Once again, that's a podcast that I do with my fiance where we play a different game every other week and we talk about how the game makes us feel, how it works with our relationship, if we'd be good to play with other people. And we kind of do like a deep dive into, into like how playing together makes people feel and, and generally just what effect that has on a, on a group. It's probably my favorite project right now besides earworm because one i get to you know play with the love of my life all the time but also you really learn a lot about the other person and uh people that listen to the show from what i've heard tend to walk away with a with a better understanding of like how they play how they play with others and and it's generally been helpful so i'm pretty proud of that cool well put all those links then in the show notes so people can can go and listen to more things about games we're we're pro that (laughs) Cool. Well, Aaron, thank you so much. This has been awesome. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Uh, it's I, I know it's a change of pace going from like RPGs to party games, but yeah, yeah. it's pretty cool. Hey, it's it's cool. It's something I want to know more about. So yeah. thank you.
Huge thanks again to Aaron for being on the show. His links are in the show notes, including the Earworm Kickstarter link. They're just over halfway funded and have about two weeks to go, so go check it out. That's it for this week, heroes. You can find Modifier mostly on Twitter at Modifier Podcast. We also have a Tumblr, Facebook, and G+, with varying levels of upkeep success, all under the same Modifier Podcast name. You can email me directly with questions, comments, or show suggestions at modifierpodcast at gmail.com. Modifier is a proud member of the OneShot Podcast Network, an incredible family of RPG podcasts that include shows like OneShot, Campaign, Backstory, Adventure, Neoscum, System Mastery, and Talking Tabletop. System Mastery follows Jeff and John as they scour the bargain bins of game stores across the country to bring you up-to-the-decade reviews of failures and secret successes of RPG history. Thursday night at 9, after an all-new Becker. Find out more about all these shows at OneShotPodcast.com. Modifier's theme music was created by my favorite Bothan, Cat Greenfield, whose myriad talents are on display at CatGreenfield.com. Join me again in two weeks for another episode of Modifier. See you then.